0: Hello, everyone. This is your podcast to learn English. Inglês con Tichirana. And it is Tichirana presenting. How are you doing, guys? Today, we are going to talk about a person that I like a lot, and I would like to share a little bit of uh, his... Uh, history with you guys he lived it a lot and he was way important so i will forget something so you have to uh forgive me because he lived it a lot and he was very important <laughs> so guys i'll try my best okay no one pretends that democracy is perfect or all wise indeed it has been said that democracy is the worst form of government except all those other forms that have been tried from time to time. Do you know who said that? If you don't know, just get your coffee ready, your glass of water, and let's listen to the story of Winston Churchill, okay? He is amazing, guys. Amazing, amazing. You know that here in our podcast, our goal is to help you to develop your listening skills, okay? I try to do this podcast on a regular basis, but you know, I can't because this is a kind of me team and I am the only person who works here, so I cannot keep it up and running with all my classes and, you know, I'll try my best. I will try to keep it more organized. Anyways, uh, today we are going to talk about this very interesting dude, a chubby, bald, and very determined kind of fellow. Uh, He was a Nobel Prize winner for literature Uh, He's a writer, guys, I had no idea he was a writer, seriously, I thought he was like a journalist, I never thought of him as a writer, but he was a brilliant one, Mr. Churchill was brilliant. So who was Mr. Churchill, okay, do you know who was Mr. Churchill, let's see. From time to time, we can see that great personalities are forged in heavy fire later on we think they might not be that much because their history sounds unrealistic i believe this is the case last week's podcast we talked about a great woman we talked about uh, uh, rosalind franklin okay she has a similar timeline as churchill Uh, she has lived through first and second world wars but you know she was way younger Her story is amazing. If you haven't heard it, please go back and listen to it. Winston Churchill, let me put this way. Sir Winston Leonard Spencer Churchill was born in November 30th in 1874 in Oxfordshire, England. Okay, He was a British statesman author and author and charan, 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 <laughs> prime minister for two runs, 1940 to 45 and 1951 to 55. Yes, you have seen him on the crown. <laughs> uh, he railed the British people during the World War II and led his country from the brink of defeat to victory. After a sensational rise to prominence in national politics before World War I, Churchill acquired a reputation for erratic judgment in the war itself and in the decade that followed. Politically suspect in consequence, He was a lonely figure until his response to Adolf Hitler's challenge brought him to leadership of a national coalition in 1940. With Franklin D. Roosevelt and Joseph Stalin, he then shaped allied strategy in World War II. And after the breakdown of the alliance, he alerted the West to the expansionist threat of the Soviet Union. He led the Conservative Party back to office in 1951 and remained Prime Minister until 1955, when ill health forced his resignation. In Churchill's veins ran the blood of both the English-speaking peoples whose unity in peace and war was to be a constant purpose of his to promote. Through his father, Lord Randolph Churchill, the meteoric, Tory politician, he was directly descendant from John Churchill, first Duke of Marlborough, the hero of the wars against Louis XIV of France in the early 18th century. His mother, Janie Jerome, a noted beauty, was the daughter of a New York financier and horse racing enthusiast, Leonard W. Jerome. So you might think that Queen Elizabeth must have been watching horse races (laughs) close to Mr. Churchill's family. I also think about that. The young Churchill passed an unhappy and sadly neglected childhood redeemed only by the affection of Mrs. Everest, his devoted nurse at Harrow, his... Poor academic record seemingly justified his father's decision to enter him into an army career. It was only at the third attempt that he managed to pass the entrance examination to the Royal Military College, now academic Sandhurst. But once there, he applied himself seriously and passed out, graduated 20th in a class of 130. In 1895, the year of his father's tragic death, he entered the fourth Hussars. And what are the Hussars? That was a kind of cavalry from the Middle Age that still, on the eve of World War I, were still Hussar regiments in British, including Canada, French, Spanish, German, Russian, Dutch, Danish, Swedish, Romanian, and Austro-Hungarian armies. Initially the only prospect of action was in Cuba where he spent a couple of months of leave reporting to the Cuban war re, sorry reporting from the Cuban war of independence from Spain to the Daily Graphic London in 1896 his regiment went to India where he saw service as both soldier and journalist on the northwest frontier In 1896, his regiment went to India, where he saw service as both soldier and journalist on the north-west frontier, in 1897. Expanded as the story of Malacan Field Force, his dispatches attracted such wide attention as to launch him on the career of authorship that he pursued throughout his life. Let's talk about his written works. In 1897 to 98, he wrote Savrola, a Ruritarian. And then you go like, what the hell is Ruritanian? Well, about Ruritan. It is a fictional country that people nowadays talk about to portray some ideal ideas, you know, some ideal concepts. It's a kind of, uh, I don't know, Arthur's... uh, round table (laughs) like something very um idealistic in Brazil we have a poem that talks about a place called Passargada that you have this ideal if you are friends with the king you have lots of perks so I believe it's a kind of this real written place is a kind of Passargada. Anyways and then he got attached to Lord Kitchener's Nile expedition force in the same dual role of soldier and correspondent. The the River War in 1899 brilliantly describes the campaign. Think about it. If you are not doing well at school right now or work, it doesn't mean anything. Maybe your time to blossom hasn't yet arrived. His political career before 1939, the Second World War, remember? The five years after Sandhurst saw church's interests expand and mature, he relieved the tedium of armed life in India by a program of reading designed to repair the deficiencies of Harrell and Sandhurst. In 1899, he resigned his commission to enter politics and make a living by his pen. He first stood as a conservative at Oldham where he lost a by-election by a narrow margin, but found quick solace in reporting the South African war for the Morning Post in London. He was a writer again, good boy! Within a month after his arrival in South Africa, he had won fame for his part in rescuing an armored train ambushed by Boers though at the price of himself being taken prisoner oh what a hero but his fame was double when less than a month later he escaped from military prison returning to britain as a military hero he laid siege again to old hand in the election of the 19th uh, churchill succeeded in winning by a margin as narrow as that of his previous failure. But he was now in Parliament and fortified by £10,000 from his writings and lectures. You know, he had this position that was very comfortable. Okay? Guys, after a while, Churchill was promoted to President of the Board of Trade with a seat in the Cabinet and he won an election at Dundee in the same year we're talking about 1908 in the same year he married the beautiful Clementine Rosier it was a marriage of love lasting affection that provided a secure and happy background to his turbulent career they had five children no tv guys no tv Five kids. Ugh, you know, I have two bunnies. Five kids. Oh, goodness. During the First World War, uh, it was, you know, it, Churchill was a prepared man. It was no surprise to Churchill. He had already held a test naval mobilization. Of all the cabinet ministers, he was the most insistent on the need to resist Germany. Smart guy. On August 2nd, 1914, on his own responsibility, he ordered the naval mobilization that guaranteed complete readiness when the war was declared. The war called out of Mr. Churchill's energy. In October 1914, he characteristically rushed in person to organize its defense. When it fell to the public, only a delusion in defeat, but in fact, the prolongation of its resistance for almost a week enabled the Belgian army to escape and the crucial Channel port to be saved. Guys, come on, let's talk about his readiness. He is, you know, one of the things that I like the most about Churchill is that he's always ready, you know, Uh, When you were watching TV shows, recently I started watching Peaky Blinders. And it is fiction, I know, I'm fully aware of it. But it's interesting because when you are watching it, you have this feeling that you know Churchill. That Churchill knows everything. And there is something that is right and there is something that is wrong. So... We we have this black and white situations. But then when Churchill comes and then he brings a perspective that you have hundreds of shades of gray. So it's not everything black and white. There is a scene. Uh, I'm not going to give any spoilers here. I'm talking about a metaphor he uses. He's talking about war and uh, he says that fulano de tal you know um, kind of regular john is ascending to power and then he asks uh another person if you watch it you know <laughs> right and he asks this person about uh, his gardening skills and he asks uh, do you know when you are gardening and then you have some weeds And then you know that you're going to take them out, but they will uh, emerge again. (laughs) So, he says that this guy is like that. Of course, it's fiction. But, you know, when you feel like Churchill might have said it. (laughs) Another uh, Netflix uh, picture that I really would like to talk today as a movie that talks about spies, lady spies. And it talks about uh, Churchill's lady spies. It's interesting because it shows that there's a level of cleverness in bringing women to spy on war because nobody is expecting... That women would have any military skills or any role in war. But then there is this kind of uh, <laughs> invisible division, and they are Churchill spies. It is very interesting. Both are available on Netflix. Okay. Anyways, uh, after the First World War, okay we have the 1922 29 uh period I think you know uh we talk about uh, we have the crash and then we have the years that you cannot sell uh you cannot sell liquor in the United States okay after the war I would like to say another quote from Churchill I have nothing to offer but blood toil tears and sweat (laughs) it is so British right anyways uh, in convalescence and political impotence Churchill turned his brush and his pen okay he's turned to his brush and his pen his painting never rose above the level of a gifted amateurs guys you know, he thought a lot about himself, but, you know, he was a good amateur. But his writing once again provided him with the financial base, uh, you know, that independence that he, as a politician, required because nobody is financing him. His autobiographical history of war, the world crisis netted him... Twenty thousand pounds, which he purchased Chartwell, and it's interesting because uh, all the things that I'm reading about Churchill shows a man that has lots of character, and he owes nothing to anyone. Well, if you know better, please let me know. Okay, because I am kind of Churchill girl. <laughs> Please, if he's not this great guy, uh, talk me out of it. Anyways, uh, Churchill uh, started, you know, uh, in 1923. Uh, Stanley Baldwin was leaving, was leading the Conservative on a protectionist program, and Churchill was a liberal. Churchill stood at Leicester as a liberal free trader. He lost by 40,000 votes. In 1924, uh Ar- Asquith supported a minority labor government that moved Churchill far to the right. So Churchill was a liberal and then he became more conservative, okay? And he stood as an independent anti-socialist in a by-election in the Abbey Division Abbey Division of Westminster. Uh, Churchill managed to avoid alienating the conservative leadership and indeed won conspicuous support from many proeminent figures in the party. In the general election of nineteen twenty-four he won an easy victory and he disguised like uh, like thinly as a conservative label of constitutionalist okay he was protecting the constitution and mr churchill was a kind of constitutionalist free trader we might say okay in the years that followed churchill early liberalism survived only in the form of advocacy for the rigid laissez-faire economics for the rest he appeared repeatedly as the leader of the diehards okay so mr conservative we know about okay it's interesting uh that he his first move to restore the gold standard remember guys the gold standard and how the countries they have this kind of gold uh, uh savings you know something like that i might bring it up one day but not promising and then it uh, is his first move to restore the gold standard a disastrous measure from which flowed deflation unemployment and the minor strike that led to the general strike of 1926 here in brazil we have uh, we are in brazil you know i don't know where you are listening to this podcast but i am in brazil and i would like to draw a parallel here uh we have uh, uh, our energy comes from hydroelectric and so we have dams and then we have this clean energy that comes from water but when we think about uh, britain 1920s we have coal we don't have we have miners so if you're a brazilian i would like you thinking a little bit If you could remember that we had a truck driver's strike, I guess, in 2016, 2017, I guess. Uh, It stopped the country. You remember that? We had no fuel and lots of gas stations with kilometrical lines. Anyways, so think about it. Uh, we, when we had this problem, our concerns were only about transportation. So, could you imagine what happened to the economy if everything was connected to fuel? So, in this case, we are talking about trains. We are talking about um, uh, heat for houses. We are talking about economy. We are talking about uh, light. So, we're talking about hospitals, and we're talking about uh, all the economy, okay? Churchill offered no remedy except the cultivation of a strict economy, extending even to the armed services. Churchill viewed the general strike as a quasi-revolutionary measure, and was foremost in resisting a negotiated settlement. He leaped at the opportunity of editing the british gazette an emergency official newspaper which he filled with bombastic and frequently inflammatory propaganda of course against <laughs> labor parties and communism The one relic of his earlier radicalism was his partnership with Neville Chamberlain, a minister of health in the cautious expansions of social services, mainly in the provision of widow's pensions. In 1929, when the government fell, Churchill, who would have liked a Tory-Liberal reunion, deplored Baldwin's decision to accept a minority labor government. The next year, an open rift developed between the two men. Churchill resigned from the shadow cabinet and threw himself into a passionate, at times almost hysterical, campaign against the Government of India Bill in 1935, designed to give India dominion status. Another quote from Mr. Churchill, India is a geographical term, it is it is no more a United Nation than the Ecuador, Winston Churchill. Uh, when, in 1931, the national government was formed, Churchill, though a supporter, had no hand in his establishment or place on its councils he had arrived at a point where for all his abilities he was distrusted by every party remember guys he was a kind of an independent so he had no ties to anybody he was thought to lack judgment and stability and was regarded as a guerrilla fighter impatient of discipline. he was considered a clever man who associated too much with clever men, beckham beaverbrook lloyd george and who despised the necessary hundred associations and compromises of practical politics again independent okay interesting fact here is that churchill persistently argued the case for taking the german threat seriously and his need to prevent the german air force from securing parity with the royal air force Uh, in this he was supported by a small but devoted personal uh, uh, following in particular the gifted oxford physics professor frederick linderman later lord Cherwell. enabled him to build up at Chartwell a private intelligence center, the information of which was often superior to that of the government. People watch the spies, okay? (laughs) Mr. Churchill's spies, okay? It was amazing. When Baldwin became Prime Minister in 1935, he persisted in excluding Churchill from office research thus enabling him to work on some vital national problems. But Churchill had little success in efforts to impact urgency to Baldwin's administration. The crisis that developed when Italy invaded Ethiopia in 1935 found Churchill ill-prepared, divided between a desire to build up a League of Nations around the concept of collective security, and the fear that collective action would drive benito mussolini into the arms of hitler that we know what happened the spanish civil war 1936-39 to 39, found him convinced of the vir- virtues of non-intervention first as a supporter and later as a critic of Francisco Franco such varies of judgment in fact reflected the overwhelming priority he accorded to a nation the containment of german aggressiveness at home there was one grievous characteristic romantic misreading of the political and public mood when people watched the crowd when edward 8th abdication crisis of 1936 he vainly opposed baldwin by a public championing of the king's cause okay i would like to take a little pause here to talk about the tv show the crown in this show we can see the impact that king's edward decision had on the british monarchy and the politics in general people were lost and also another thing was to happen Later on, they found that King Edward was very close to the Reich. Watch the show, guys. Seriously, watch it. I think it's very interesting here uh, to talk about another thing. Uh, There is a documentary on Netflix that talks about the Windsor House. One, uh, One aspect that I got very interested in is to think about... The royal families. Uh, if we think that princes and princesses, uh, princesses and princes, had to marry, you know, <laughs> each other, <laughs> one another, it was like a big Turkarian family. You know, you. I'm sorry, I am kind of getting lost here. My point is, uh, Elizabeth's grandmother was German uh the house of windsor uh started with her father so think about it first world war we had germany against the world and then second world war we had german all over again so think about it the german pressure uh there is a scene very interesting uh in the first world war that we can see on this documentary that uh uh, Elizabeth's father is walking around and there are some bombs there, there you oh my god you can see those beautiful buildings being crushed and then the name of the bombs were the last name of her grandmother so it's interesting to think that it's all connected Imagine how difficult it was for the royal family to see that cousins from Russia uh, were killed and expelled from the uh, from the castles, and same thing happening in Germany, and lots of royal families falling, 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 and then you have to rebuild this idea that the royal family is close to the people and then you have a person like Mr. Churchill that believes royal family, that believes tradition, that believes the constitution. I cannot think of him as a person that had a small part. I think that he had a huge part on developing this connection and protecting the royal family to what it is until now because nowadays i can see people talking about dethroning them but when all other monarchies were just (laughs) i don't know vanishing (laughs) uh, you have this fear that something might happen But think about it, at that point, it didn't, you know. I'm just wondering, I think I I will return to my script here, or I will start to trip around. Another quote from Mr. Churchill. It's about diplomacy. And if you're Brazilian, I really would like you to consider stopping this podcast, getting some coffee, and thinking about this quote to jaw jaw is always better than to war war winston churchill i wanted to reflect here that to jaw jaw means to talk so to talk is way better than to war okay during the second world war the we can say that mr churchill's previous career had been a preparation for wartime leadership an intense patriot a romantic believer in his country's greatness and its history role in Europe, the empire and the world, a devotee of action who thrived on challenge and crisis, a student, historian and veteran war, a statesman who was master of the arts of politics, despite or because of long political exile, a man of iron constitution, inexhaustible energy and total concentration. He seemed to have been nursing all his faculties so that when the moment came, he could lavish them on the salvation of Britain and the values he believed Britain stood for in the world. Another thing that I would like to quote here that I really like it is this, the maxim of the british people is business as usual so think about it we are talking about uh, wartime president roosevelt uh, replying to churchill and we're talking about churchill as uh, this restless energy power and working with ministerial colleagues and his department and trying to make this league to force uh, nations together and to defeat the this kind of uh th- this threat that he's kind of has foreseen it and then imagine this you It's something that's happening. You know how dangerous it is. You were trying to do something to prevent the world from a catastrophe. And somehow people think you are hysterical on it. You know, he was trying to energize this Anglo-French-United coalition. And then United States came to help a little bit. Too late in my opinion, okay? Think about King. Watch the movie, it's very good. As prime minister, the German invasion of the Low Countries on May 10, 1940 came like a hammer blow on the Norwegian fiasco. Chamberlain resigned and the foreign secretary to succeed him, but Halifax wisely declined it was obvious that Churchill alone could unite and lead the nation since the Labour Party, for all its old distrust of Churchill's anti-socialism, recognized the death of his commitment to defeat Hitler. So he was admired by his enemies, a coalition government was formed and included all elements to save the left, to save the far left and right. It was headed by a war cabinet of five, which included first both Chamberlain and Hanifax, a wise but also magnanimous recognition of the numerical strength of Chamberlain conservatism, okay? and the two labor leaders, Clement and Arthur Glenwood. Okay? Uh, we can say that Churchill... Addressed the parliament in a very vivid and interesting speech. Uh, we have the, the link to this speech. Uh, you can check on our website or the description of this episode. Please click on it and see Mr. Churchill talking, you know. Um, now we are going to talk. About this wartime, and I have to say that the effort was designed to match the gravity of the hour. After after the Allied defeat and the evacuation of the battered British force from Dunkirk, Churchill warned the Parliament that the invasion was a real risk to be met with local and confident defiance. Let's talk about the movie Dunkirk. It is a movie directed by Christopher Nolan, the movie is from 2017. If you haven't watched it, it's time to do it. I watch it in the cinema, the cinema, I miss you, cinema. <laughs> Actually, I am fully vaccinated, I'm so happy that I am, and I hope to be confident enough to go back to the cinema soon, okay? Um faced with this swift collapse of France, Churchill made repeated personal visits to the French government in attempt in an attempt to keep France in the war, culminating in the celebrated offer Anglo-French Union in on June 16, 1940s, okay? Churchill was in his element, the firing line. At fighter Headquarters inspecting coast defenses and anti-aircraft batteries. Churchill was amazing, guys. Seriously. Well, another painful and more debatable decision falls on Churchill. The French fleet was attacked to prevent its surrender to Hitler. A heavy commitment was made to concentrate bombing of Germany. At the height of the invasion threat, a decision was made to reinforce British strength in the Eastern Mediterranean. Forces were also sent to Greece, costly ser- sacrifice, the evacuation of Crete, looked after Gallipoli, and Churchill came under heavy fire in Parliament. Oh, Greece, if you watch at the crown, remember Prince Philip, okay? Watch the crown, guys. Seriously, seriously. Well, uh, another quote from Churchill it's about the truth. It says, In wartime, truth is so precious that she could always be attended by a bodyguard of lies. <laughs> this is a very good one, you know, very good one. We I know about Churchill's uh, formation of the Great Alliance and how important it was. And he was a great voice against communism, forces, you know. It is very interesting to take a look in history, to look back and understand how things went through. I'm going to stop talking now about war and things because it's not like a history review on Churchill. I would like just to talk about his profile and his achievements, okay? I would like to I would like to extend to you another quote, you know. Dictators ride to and fro upon tigers which they dare not dismount. And the tigers are getting hungry. I think that it's interesting to think about this. Uh when Churchill is looking at tyranny. He's against all kinds of tyranny. And uh, he's not a person like this airhead, free mind kind of guy. He believes that a strict economy uh, could put the world together. He believes in the power of will of British people. And Churchill was a great nationalist, you know, in hard times like war, He was there for Britain and he was this sometimes uh, too energetic kind of person, you know. But you know, uh, he decided on what like uh, diplomacy he was thinking about war warring is better than I'm sorry. Uh, He relied on diplomacy and he was not this kind of uh, warmonger kind of guy. Uh, He was there to hold the crisis and trying to bring harmony and success to Britain government, okay? Churchill was once again minister in the 50s, Okay and he was kind of old man at this point he was tired older you know uh, but he had a very important uh, run this time in his 80th birthday on november 30th 1954 they had this ceremony in westminster hall and he got a picture of him and he saw himself as an old man he was so pissed off and he destroyed this picture it was this piece of art and he just destroyed it because he didn't want to be old he didn't want to see himself as an old guy and totally ghetto I'm turning 38 soon and I'm not happy with that. But Churchill, I'm doing great. My skin is very good. <laughs> uh, Churchill uh, retired after a while, you know. On April 5th, 1955, his resignation took place. Okay, just a few months after uh, he got this party in Westminster and he got his his beautiful picture okay Churchill was an exceptional person and he was as we discussed here a, a great author and he was a journalist and he was a politician he was a very skilled military man you know if you think that he helped a lot and then he traded Uh, in he traded himself to rescue people Uh, after a while he managed to escape he was like this legend this uh, military legend okay so he is an amazing person okay i would like to thank you all for listening and i'd like to thank mr herbert j nicholas and encyclopedia britannica for all the information i got from their website for this episode and i would like to ask you all to watch the original speeches from churchill it's worth listening the quality is a little bit poor but mr churchill couldn't rely on that much technology right to finish this i really would like you to think with me Uh, i think i saved the best quote to to the ending okay about drinking i have taken more out of alcohol than alcohol has taken out of me winston churchill thank you guys thank you for listening